Welcome back to the Doxology Spookcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thanks for tuning in and joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. We are back with week two of 2023, October, heresy month, spooktober, spooky season, um, Halloween fest, as as we tend to do in the October season. Um, I realized how old and boring I am because, like, I was thinking about how much we talked about the weather last, last week, and I just want to keep talking about the weather because... Um, it is so much better here than it was a week ago. It's like it, it was like in the 40s this morning, 50s and 60s today. It feels like fall. We have this um, like this gas fireplace in our new house, and uh, we turned it on, and it was all toasty in the living room. And man, oh man, I am I am loving Spooktober, uh, and I'm really excited for uh, this particular episode because I feel like it's a little bit more in the in the spirit, no pun intended, of um, how our first, probably two years worth, but definitely our first uh, heresy month was sort of formatted, because since we had never done it before, um, we kind of just hit, like, the big heresies, like the classic, uh, the like, you know, the main ones that you, if you read like a church history book, you're going to see Arianism and um, Pelagianism, Nestorianism, right? These big sort of main heresies that as we've gone on <laughs> a few years from there, we're, we're sort of having to uh, learn about some more obscure heresies in order to not just be redoing every episode um, which obviously, if you tuned in last week, we talked about Pelagianism again, but from a different angle. Um, but what's cool about this particular topic um, is that it's it's not as well known, so it's not one that we've touched on before. Um, it's it's not really as uh, like it's a it's just as big a deal theologically, but historically, it's not as big a deal as Arianism. Um, although, and part of that is because it's just very similar. So, like, there's a certain level where you can kind of see, like, uh, especially after the fact, us looking back in history, like, well, we've, we've sort of dealt with this before. Um, so it's not it's not something that has, like, sort of the, 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 um, the cachet that a word like Pelagianism or Nestorianism or Arianism do because it, it's a... It's, it's a little bit just less well-known, um, but I think there's some really interesting lessons to be learned, um, not just looking at, like, theologically, doctrinally, sort of, like, in the abstract, um, but even more so some some historical lessons that, that we can learn um, that I think will sort of tie in with some of the stuff we were saying last week about our sort of, quote-unquote, pseudo Pelagianism, uh, but we'll get into all that. Um, we are talking about Numatomachianism. Numatomachi. Numatomachi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like um, Italianize it or something. Where's the we, we are talking about a difficult to pronounce and difficult to spell 
heresy. Um, do you want to take it over and just sort of lay down the basics, like summary of, of yeah. what is this heresy, uh, major players, and of course, major basic doctrinal positions that it's taking? Sure. Yeah. And and it's 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 interesting. Like you said, it, we're, we're dealing with something that's a little bit obscure, I think, theologically to most people. I mean, I, I like to think that I'm relatively in the know, so to speak, on on theological things. But this was something that when you proposed it, I was like, I have no idea what that is. So I was excited to sort of dig into it. Um, basically, this idea, like you said, uh, Numa, Panuma, Tamaki, Tamachi, um, whatever it is, it's also known as uh, Macedonians or um, or even as semi-Aryans, which is interesting, again, sort of a callback to last week. But that, those are different names. So Macedonians, semi-Aryans, and Constantinople. And they're known as the Tropici in Alexandria. And so in in essence, they were an anti-Nicene creed sect, which flourished in the regions adjacent to the Helen spot during the later half of the 4th and beginning of the 5th centuries. Um, essentially, they denied the divinity or the godhood of the Holy Spirit. And so hence the Greek name Pneumatomachi, Pneumatomachi, um, as sort of like combaters against the spirit or spirit fighters, depending on the translation you read. So we could just call these, you know, spirit fighters, but even that doesn't feel like it gets to the the heart of what we're, what we're dealing with here. But basically, uh, <laughs> you could look up the, the, the Encyclopedia Britannica, the Wikipedia. There are a couple of others that more or less summarize the history of this belief system and this doctrine the same way. Um, so I'm more or less just like ripping from that. I, I didn't just like straight up copy and paste. I, I took chunks at a time here, but just to kind of give you the flyover so we understand like what we're dealing with and when. Um, Macedonius I was the founder of this sect. Um, what's interesting is he was installed into the Sea of Constantinople by the Arians in about 342 AD and enthroned by Emperor Constantius II, who had for the second time expelled Paul, the Orthodox bishop. What I find so interesting about church history is like, it didn't happen in a vacuum, and it was like real people living in real times and places. This is something I brought up last week. I'm sure it's going to come up week over week now. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking about heresy in a different way this year. I don't exactly know like what to make of it or why I'm, I'm thinking differently. Uh, but I, I have this hunch because, I mean, this is how I used to operate and I know others operate the same way, but like heresy almost just feels like this thing that we can look back at and it's disconnected from actual people in an actual place in actual time. It, it I know we can like talk about Arianism, we can talk about Pelagianism and we can tether it to Arius and Pelagius, but I think in some sense we even forget that they were like a people, that those they, they were actual persons who weren't monoliths. It's not like Arius was like, this is like everything Arius was and everything about him was just wrong and bad and nefarious. I mean, like, he was a dude who probably had, you know, brothers and sisters or parents and cousins and, and loved ones and, like, was seeking to live in his time, in his place, in a certain way. And obviously history, both uh, world and church history, has proven that his teachings were errant. Um, but... I just, I want to approach heresy, and again, this conversation on Numa Tomaki um, from a similar vantage point, right? So we're talking about people, we're talking about uh, bishops, we're talking about emperors and the places that they lived. 
Um, but he is known in history for, so this person, Macedonius I, was known in history for his persecution of the Nov, uh, Novatians and Catholics as both maintained the consubstantiality of Christ, obviously the Son, with the Father. So he not only expelled those who refused to hold communion with him, but he also imprisoned some. He brought others before tribunals, you know, to face um, some sort of, uh, you know, think of like going before a judge and, and getting a sentence. Um, in many cases, he used torture to compel the unwilling to communicate. He forced baptism on unbaptized women and children, and he destroyed many churches. Um, there's also like when, when I was reading this, it just it seems to like it, like what what I could find seemed to jump from thing to thing without much context or backstory or explanation of why. But basically, his disinternment of the body of Emperor Constantine the First was looked upon as an indignity um, to the protector of the Council of Nicaea, and it led to a conflict between Arians and anti-Arians, which which filled the church and neighboring places with carnage so as this this disinternment so basically removing a body from its resting place had taken place without imperial sanction and so macedonius fell into disgrace and roman emperor flavius julius constantius caused him to be dis, uh, deposed um uh, around 360 and so it's believed that during this time um, he, he continued to live near Can uh, Constantinople and he caused significant trouble and he died there in about 364. It is thought that during these final years is where he formulated his rejection of the divinity of the Holy Spirit and sort of founded his sect. So again, really glossing over big chunks of history. And that's something that even when I study history myself, whether it be like human history or church history more specifically, is like we talk about 1492, we talk about 1776, we might talk about 1941, whatever spot in history. And again, maybe this is just me, but I imagine other people feel this way and will feel similarly. But when we study history, we talk about years as if like, there weren't 365 days in that period of time where like on a day-to-day -day basis, like mundane things were, weren't happening. Um, you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? Well, a lot of stuff happened in 1492. A lot of stuff happened every single day all across the world. And so in a similar way, like the, the happenings here in the, the 300s and, and early 400s AD, like you have to imagine and remember the context of, 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 of church history, right? We we're only a few hundred years removed from Christ. We're very close to um, many of the big heavy hitters, you know, think of people like Augustine and Athanasius and Basil and so on and so forth. And the, the creeds sort of being drafted and formulated. So like, this is like a, a, a very important time in, in our history as, as a people within the church. Um, but now that I've sort of rambled on a little bit, I'm curious, what, what other remarks do you want to make? Like we, we can, we can talk about it as like, here's the history, here's the thing. But why, do, why is it bad? Why is it errant to reject the divinity of the spirit? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of ways to answer that. But the one that, that comes to mind, so I'll, I'll back up slightly to something you said at the end there and then answer your question more directly. Um, like when this heresy arises is, is very important or, or you know, very important and very interesting and makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways um, because of 
what is going on before and after it, so to speak. So, you know, Macedonius is, is um, you know, deposed from his <laughs> heretical, uh, illegitimate uh, see in Constantinople in 360, and he dies in 364. Well, the Council of Nicaea, the first Council of Nicaea is in 325, so that's the big one where Arius is condemned. Um, the cons- the consum- consubstantiality of the son with the father is affirmed. The first draft of the Nicene Creed, not the Nicene Creed that we recite in churches today, but the Nicene Creed is first produced, hence why we call it the Nicene Creed. And then, so 360, Macedonius is deposed. 364, he dies. Okay, great. 384 is the first council of Constantinople. That's where the version of the Nicene Creed that we say is is finished. Um, And that is uh, where, you know, quote-unquote Macedonianism, spirit fighterism, um, in other words, the denial of the Holy Spirit's divinity is condemned at Constantinople I in 384. And so he is, you know, in terms of his life and in terms of the um, the development of these ideas, and like you kind of, you kind of, uh, it, w- it was a little bit quick, so people might have missed it, but you kind of uh, alluded to in the, when you were laying down the, the background, like there are, you know, this idea, the, the denial of the spirit's divinity, is, it's not like nobody thought about it and then one day Macedonius woke up and it occurred to him and then he started teaching it and then other people started thinking it, right? Like you mentioned the Tropici, like, like these are in different regions in the empire surrounding different areas of, of the church. Um, it's, it's not necessarily just one localized expression of it, but what we're talking about, you know, with Matt, as, as far as Macedonius's influence, which is important, you know, important enough that people throughout history have referred to this as Macedonianism, um, took place, you know, in this time period in Constantinople and its surrounding areas. Okay. The, the Cappadocian fathers, Basil, Gregory, Gregory, the ones who are, uh, you know, their legacy primarily is a defense of pro-Nicene Trinitarian theology. Um, that is the period where they're writing, right? They're writing in between Constantinople and, uh, well, Nicaea and Constantinople. The, um, Athanasius, his letters to his friend Serapion are all about this issue. Um, they were probably actually written, I, I, re- I was reading in, in uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia, um, they were probably actually written in response to Macedonius himself, I believe, or at least his followers, because his friend um, Serapion sent him some some letters uh, describing this. This is when Athanasius was in one of his exiles, um, and so these 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 figures um, are interacting with this idea in the wake of Nicaea, where Arianism has been condemned. That doesn't mean it, it disappears, but it has been condemned. It the church has recognized that Arianism is a heresy. Um, and, you know, at the at the beginning, you, you mentioned how, you know, like Macedonius's status as bishop 
is is it's not, he's not the patriarch of Constantinople. He's the bishop of Constantinople for the the Arians. Um, or did you say Arians or semi Arians? I can't remember. Um, I did say semi Arians, but I, you know, okay. it could be yeah, We're, a little bit of both. But um, so the semi Arians were were a specific were, were specifically you know like we talked about semi-Pelagianism as a specific, real, defined thing, historically speaking. So is semi-Arianism. Like Eusebius of Caesarea, the, the famous church historian, he's a semi-Arian. But, um, like, so he is, this is the time where he's, these ideas are flourishing, and especially this particular flavor under Macedonius' influence. And these major Trinitarian theologians, the Cappadocians, Athanasius, they are actually directly responding to this idea. And and so, long-winded prelude, to answer your question, like what like what's the big deal? Well, let's work backwards. If the Holy Spirit is God, and I say that he's not God, I am denying godhood to God. That's pretty bad. You know, like Christians would agree. Uh, that we ought to, you know, worship God. And so if I refuse to worship God because I'm saying that he's not really God, um, I am sort of, you know, in a backwards way violating the first commandment. You know, like, like I not I, I not only potentially have other gods before him, but I'm denying that he's a God, <laughs> let alone the true God. Um, and the way, so if you pick up, uh, we've mentioned this before, I think I've actually read one of these orations as a solo episode a couple years ago. But um, if you pick up the the collection of Gregory of Nazianzus's writings called On God and Christ, um, it is a collection of, of sermons, basically, and then a couple letters as well, where uh, most of them deal with the, these issues, the issues of... Um, how do we understand Jesus's divinity as the son? How do we understand the spirit's divinity? And, and there's a couple that are all about the spirit because this was the bigger issue. Because remember, when the Cappadocians are writing, Nicaea had already decided, the, it, it had already answered the question about Jesus's divinity, um, but it did not really answer the question about the spirit's divinity. And so um, he gives one one part that that just has always stood out in my mind is this long list of um, of verbs that apply to the spirit in scripture, and it's just like a whole paragraph where it's like every word is just a verb that he is pulling from some verse in the New Testament. Well, in scripture, not just the New Testament. Um, that is applying to the Holy Spirit. And what his point is, like, like for example, speaking, grieving, um, making, uh, I think he even says, like, baptizing. Um, his whole point is um, persons, like, like, only a person can be the subject of a verb, right? Only something that is active can do these things. You know, you can't grieve the Holy Spirit, like in Acts 5, if the Holy Spirit is not a person. And then he goes on and he and he and he points out how some of those verbs are ideas and actions that can only be done by God. 
right? So there's there's this idea of like Jesus forgives sins, and that's an indication of his um, divinity because it's not it, it, ultimately it's it's the place of God to forgive sins. And there's a, there's a similar thing being done with uh, the Spirit, where the Spirit is doing things that only God can do. So either you're going to deny the, the, the you know the, the biblical witness, which especially in today's day and age, fine, okay, you might do that. Um, or if you're going to not try to do that, if you're if you're trying to be a Christian like these Macedonians were, um, you have to recognize that the presentation in God's revelation of the Holy Spirit is that He is a divine person, in the same way that. Christ, the, the Son, is a divine person. And so for a very similar reason that Arianism is is heretical, denying Jesus' divinity, this uh, sort of similar error but applied to the Spirit, denying the Spirit's divinity, is uh, a twisting of the biblical data. And as a result, what you end up doing is denying that God is God by saying Jesus or the Spirit or the Father. Most, you know, Christian heretics never really did that. But um, to deny one of the divine persons is God is to deny that God is God because what we confess as Christians, as biblical people who's, who's, who take the authority of the Bible um, as seriously, people who are um, committed to actually um, expressing our faith in the way that God has revealed it in the words of scripture. Um, we, we are people who worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So denying the Spirit is directly to undo that and to, to compromise um, the identity of the God of our religion. And so that, that's why it's bad, and that's a little bit of how it was argued against by figures like Gregory of Nazianzus. Um, and yeah, so that's that's my answer to your question. And that and that's I have a I have a question too, or, or not a question, more of an observation. But um, is there anything you want to add to that before before I kind of shift gears slightly? Yeah, yeah. I think we've said this. I just want to like give give like actual definition to like what they believe obviously we've said they deny the god like the the godness of the spirit but basically what was the affirmation that they made and it was that like the holy spirit was a created entity so they said the spirit exists it's not like they just outright said there is no spirit um, but they say the spirit exists um it was created it is subject to the father and son and in is something of a servant basically um so i think it's like worth saying i, ca I can't remember if i'd said that or not um the other thing that's worth saying is that the writings of macedonius himself as well as the writings of the numa tamachi numa tamaki whatever they have all been lost um and so what is asserted regarding their doctrine comes from polemic refutations by church leaders who regarded them as heretical and as a problem um so I know that like for some people that can be a challenge that can be something that's like well like we don't have any of their writings how do we know what they said well the thing you have to remember is like if you have people writing refuting something and condemning it as heresy like you probably shouldn't keep around many of the writings that are a problem so as to not like 
you know, propagate them further. So it's possible that like documents were destroyed. Um, it's, it's, it's unlikely that they were just only simply lost to history. I have to imagine that many of them were, were destroyed and, um, disposed of. So again, those two things were worth, worth saying that like, yes, they did, they denied the divinity of the spirit, but it was, it was why they did so. Um, and the fact that we don't have any of their writings and basically like Lucas has already said, we have the, the refutations from the church fathers, from the, the Cappadocian fathers, so on and so forth. So those were just a, a couple of things I felt like were worthy of inserting yeah, that, as well. That's super helpful. And so, so we, we should have said that more clearly at the beginning. So, so you can kind of see how it's sort of like a newer, like a slightly newer version of Arianism where we're no longer saying the sun is created we're saying the spirit is created, um, or, or, like, and more specifically, we're saying, oh, okay, well, yes, the sun is the sun is not created, but the spirit is, <laughs> um, and that sort of leads into what I think is most helpful for thinking about this particular heresy in our day and age, in light, especially of the kind of things we were saying last week, where we were talking about with with, with this sort of Pelagian semi you know semi semi pelagian uh sort of tendency that can kind of slip into um the kinds of christianity that um is prevalent in i mean i mean it's true of any christian but especially culturally speaking it's just it's just maybe maybe very prevalent in in our context in the u.s but um something a little bit like like different like certainly a little bit a, a little bit of a step up from that is what's really important to remember so remember i said that this idea this quote unquote macedonianism flourishes after the council of nicaea so the the nicene creed the the you know the orthodox teaching that the son is homoousios consubstantial of the same essence as the father has already been established again not that erases people who disagree from continuing to disagree but it's already been established that that is the church's position but the other thing i mentioned the creed as written at the first council of nicaea in 325 um if you if you read that text um, it's it's pretty much the same as as we would know it from the versions that are printed in in prayer books and church bulletins and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when it gets to the the third section, right? So I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. Da, 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 da. And then it gets to the last part where it says, "I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of Life, worship proceeds from the Father and the Son." Blah blah blah. blah. That, that third section, all it says is, I believe in the Holy Spirit, period. And then it goes on to give anathemas against Arian teachings. So like those who deny the Son is, uh, is uncreated, you know, let him be in it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So here's the thing, right? Here's what is interesting to think about in our own day and age. The Macedonians, the Numatamaki, could and did affirm the Nicene Creed. So, how is that possible? Well, if all you say is, I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
that is um, by by nature, just because it's such a short, simple statement without further explanation, it's it could be given a whole lot of interpretations that might be mutually exclusive to each other. But if all you say, if all you have in front of you is, I believe in the Holy Spirit, well, like you just said, the Macedonians believed in the Holy Spirit. They believed that the Holy Spirit was this created servant that was um, subordinate to and not equal to the Father and Son. I believe in that. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so what's interesting to think through is you've got kind of these two two like branches you can take this one is sort of like like saying the creed with your fingers crossed behind your back where you're like i believe in the holy spirit and you know that everyone around you is meaning something different than you like they mean the uncreated third person of the holy trinity and you mean this created subservient creature um but you're not lying because you do believe in, like, literally, you do believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, so I'm going to just agree with this creed and everyone's going to, you know, I know that I mean something different. But because it's not explicit, everyone around me is going to think I'm on the same page as them, but I'm really believing something different. And that sort of, like, slightly more deceitful kind of, uh, like, way of imagining it. Or there's also just the fact that the statement taken on its own, the statement is ambiguous. Like the statement, it's not it's not untrue or unfair or unreasonable to recognize that somebody who thinks the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity and somebody who thinks the Holy Spirit is a created being can both honestly say the words, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so what's what's the upshot of all this? Like, why am I pointing this out? It's because what what I think is so intriguing about, um, or, or I guess the lesson that, that I think this particular heretical episode of history can show us is the importance of recognizing what we mean by our theological language and recognizing that, okay, yes, you're going to have like, you're going to have lying or sneaky people who are crossing their fingers behind their back. But setting that aside, there's also the reality that somebody could, in you know, conceivably, I'm not saying there are specific examples of this, of Macedonians who did this. I, you know, we just, I'm sure there were, but we just don't know for sure. But the point is, conceivably, you could imagine somebody in, you know, the year 365, somebody could be standing in a church and could say the Nicene Creed, the first version that that ends with just, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And they could honestly be affirming every article in that version of the creed and at the same time be holding to a really horrifically twisted view of the nature of God by denying the Holy Spirit's divinity. Because what's so fascinating is not necessarily every one of them, but generally speaking, these numatamaki affirmed the consubstantiality of Jesus with the Father. They were actually orthodox in their Christology, so to speak. They were horribly unorthodox, unfortunately, in their pneumatology, 
in their in their idea of who the spirit is and 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 the nature of the spirit but what's interesting is okay take that concept right and then what happened in the second council of constant or the 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 second council the first of constantinople the creed gets um the third article of the creed it doesn't change and this is a longer conversation but just trust me you know it doesn't change but they add explanatory language to make sure that if you're going to affirm the creed you you are aware that you're affirming that, that you believe in the holy spirit comma the lord the giver of life who proceeds from the father and is worshiped with the father and so on and so forth and so it's it's very much clear after 384 that as far as the orthodox the catholic church is concerned if you're going to confess the the creed of the church you are you are going to be confessing with your lips that the spirit is god through this particular language that clarifies what was already true at Nicaea, but was not made explicit until Constantinople. And so, think about, in in today's day and age, think about instances where that could happen, right? Think about the idea of not just the liars who cross their fingers, but the people who are poorly taught by people who may or may not know better who teach and preach something that is just not true but they can say the right words right and so they can kind of again on purpose or not they can kind of fly under the radar and not so this is different than what we were talking about last week because i'm not talking about sort of like a general atmosphere or a general sort of tendency but I'm talking about like specific false teachings, such as the spirit is not God, right? That are are, are that are are specifically taught, but they can be confessed under like sort of underneath and behind orthodox language. Because I believe in the Holy Spirit is a very orthodox statement. <laughs> um, but you could you can advertently or inadvertently smuggle into that orthodox language the exact opposite of what it's meant to be conveying which is that the holy spirit is not god and so that's the idea i want to i want to take away from this conversation and i have a specific example in mind of of something but excuse me <laughs> but i wanted to um throw that out there and then see what your thoughts are on it before um Oh, in our FaceTime, Jen's giving me the thumbs up. So I guess that means I, I said something good. <laughs> I have no idea. So I'm, I don't know how that happened. I don't know if it saw me like actually give a thumbs up and it did that. I did not touch my screen. So I don't, that was that's, very strange. <laughs> that's disturbing. Um, anyway, it was the what spirit. are your thoughts? It's, it, what are, yeah, it's the spirit. <laughs> what are your moving. thoughts about that? What yeah. are your thoughts? I'm curious. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, dude, what's, what's so fascinating to me, the more that I study history and church history is just the progressive nature of 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 both revelation but also of doctrine um, because that's what we're seeing here like this this teaching in particular this this part of of church history is like exactly what you're saying you can affirm this belief a belief in the trinity uh, a, a belief in i should say more correctly the holy spirit but still be errant if you don't fully 
uh, uncover what that means. And so I'm sure there are a thousand different things that someone could say today, like, I believe in scripture, um, but do you believe that it is inerrant? Do you believe that it is sufficient? Do you believe that it is God's word? Like, that's an example of like, you can say something, whether malicious or not. Again, like that's to Lucas's point on someone trying to, you know, hold their fingers behind their back just to try to skirt on by and present as orthodox or something. Um, But like, man, when I think about, like when I read scripture, when I read the Old Testament, when I read the New Testament, like think of think of even the development of of theology in the mind of an Old Testament believer. Like by the time that Jesus comes on the scene, right? There are all these like sects, there are all these belief systems that like, you know, there was the sect that um was I forget who it was. Was it the doesn't matter, but they they denied the resurrection of the dead, right? So they they believe that there was going to be no resurrection of the dead, and then Jesus comes along and says, "Actually, let me tell you how it really is." Or even if a callback to an episode we did a few weeks back, uh, when when Lucas and I talked about um, the road to Emmaus, for example, how how Jesus uh, to the disciples on that road revealed himself and how he basically like where he was in the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and so that idea is like, again, people had a, a mindset, they had a concept of like reality, the way the world worked, they had a belief system, and it was challenged, and it was changed, and it was transformed. And in, in much the same way, I like to believe, and again, I could be wrong in this, I, I, I hope that over the, the life of this podcast, people recognize that like Lucas and I are not experts, we are, we are just friends and dudes who are like trying to understand we're, God, his word. We're literally, we're literally just guys being dudes yeah we're just guys being dudes exactly um but like um like i i like to believe that the people who were living in this time like they weren't necessarily trying to be heretical or malicious or anything like obviously macedonius or whatever was like not a good dude just from what you can see and how he behaved and how he acted um regardless of what (laughs) how bad his teaching also was he was not uh, very well motivated, but the people who came after him, who were like, "Hey, we we heard this teaching, and it like ma- it kind of makes sense to us." I mean, I don't I don't think most people are out here trying to be malicious, and maybe that's where I'm errant myself. I, I like to assume that people can live with good intentions. That's not to say they're sinless or um, not depraved in some way, but like your average person doesn't just wake up and decide I'm going to go out and do all these really bad things. Like most people are just trying to make ends meet. They're trying to live in the world faithfully, honor God, honor his word. Um, But again, as we see in history, things can be proven to be heretical, untrue, bad teaching, et cetera, et cetera. And so as a result, we ought to not repeat the patterns that were, were put forth by our forefathers, right? Like we are standing on the shoulders of those who came before us um, especially the church. I mean, the church is like a stream of, of flowing from, I mean, in one regard, Christ. Um, but what we mean by that is from the very beginning um, where he created the world. So that, those are some of my thoughts. It's, it's just like, we want to be careful. We want to, we want to not just like label these people as like the worst of the worst. I mean, I think sometimes when we talk about heretics, like that's the, the label that they get is like, they're, they're bad. Their teaching was bad. And so they must have been bad people. Um, but I imagine when when their error was pointed out that there were people who were like, oh man, you're right. I have been wrong. And let me change that belief system. Um, so I'm curious what you wanted to say on, on that. Like uh, we can probably translate that to a thousand different things today. Um, 
but well, yeah, what are what are your think what are your thinking and your thoughts on that? Yeah, the the example that came to mind uh, is something that we haven't th- talked about. I don't think uh, maybe we have actually. Shoot, whoops, this will be embarrassing if we have. Um, but but the the example that came to mind is oneness Pentecostalism. So there are Pentecostals who um, deny the Trinity. They're they're like literally like textbook. The well, let me let me back this up before I make a fool of myself. Based on my limited uh, sort of outsider perspective, they are like what what we would classify their their theology as is modalism, where there's one God who who expresses himself as the Father. And then sometimes as the sun, sometimes as the spirit. Um, so they do deny the divinity of the spirit in the sense of being a third distinct divine person. Um, but it, it's in a different way. I'm not saying that oneness Pentecostalism is an example of Macedonianism. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is um, there's this I there's this like like we could take the example of um, uh, baptism, right? So let's say. Somebody came to your church and, and had, had grown up oneness Pentecostal and then had become convinced of orthodoxy and was joining your 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 typical, you know, orthodox, little o, uh, Protestant, Catholic or orthodox church, right? So they were baptized. Well, okay, there's only one baptism. You don't get baptized multiple times. But here's the thing. If you deny the Trinity... You don't baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because that's blasphemy, right? You're, you're ascribing divinity to, to persons that are not divine but are actually just expressions of the one God. So my understanding is, um, generally speaking, oneness Pentecostal groups baptize in the name of Jesus. And they'll, they'll point to verses in Acts that... that uh, literally say that and they'll say see look this is what the early church was doing again different conversation (laughs) um totally unrelated to this but point being um saying i was bad like let's say you didn't know this person was from a oneness background they come to you and they and you get to talking about religion and they say yeah i was baptized when i was 12 or whatever um in the name of jesus if somebody said that to me, on one level, my reaction is going to be like, "Dude, that's awesome, <laughs> sweet, that's that's sick." Could, you know, like, let me embrace you as a brother. Um, however, and this is not necessarily what any individual person means when they say that, but from the context of if you were if you were baptized in the name of Jesus, and you literally mean in a oneness Pentecostal church, I was baptized solely in the name of Jesus. Your baptism is not valid according to what Christ lays down for how we ought to baptize and what the church has recognized is being baptized in the triune name. And so what this example that came to my mind was is not that one is Pentecostal equals Macedonian, but this idea where they read the New Testament, they believe in Jesus. Like if you aren't aware that this person you're talking to does not believe in the Trinity, then like you could probably get pretty far in a conversation before you hit on something where 
it's going to be apparent that you have a different perspective, right? And then you're going to be like, wait a second. And you're going to maybe ask some questions or have a sense that like, oh, something's off. Maybe you're not sure quite what it is, whatever. And the reason for that is when you're able to affirm certain ways of speaking that are in themselves orthodox, biblical, helpful, good. But, and this is the point, they can't be for the purposes of doing theology. They can't be exhaustive, right? All you need to say, quote unquote, um, as a Christian, is that you believe in the Holy Spirit, right? You don't need to go into um, all the nuances of how we start talking about procession and spiration and personhood and usia and all this stuff. You don't need that to be a Christian. You don't need that to be the best Christian there ever was. You don't need that to know God. Um, but from the perspective of theology, the church needs to be able to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and that means X, Y, Z, not ABC. And this this story of church history between the first two councils of Macedonianism, Pneumatomachianism, is exhibit A of why that is, right? Because the Council of Nicaea happens because uh, there is no single universal creed that summarizes what we believe yet. And so when Arius teaches what he teaches, the need becomes apparent to specify we, we worship Jesus and here's, here's why and here's how, whatever. And then there is a creed, but it's not enough to affirm the creed. Allah, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but what I mean by that is a creature, right? You have to actually understand what it is that the creed is teaching as well as be able to honestly affirm it. And, and oneness Pentecostalism is a potential example of that, of like, you know, we can maybe, we can maybe get by with some language that seems orthodox until we press into, well, what do you mean by Jesus? Or what do you mean by fill in the blank? And so that's just something to think about. And the reason I point that out as an example is not because it's the perfect connection, but because it's something that is alive and well today. Like, it's not, a, it's not simply a historical curiosity, right? And it's not simply an abstract theological question. But there are people today, whether they know it or not, who fall into these, um, really, these ancient heresies. And not just people who, like, we would say, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, are really outside of the Christian faith, even if they might claim that title, but even, even people who seem a little bit closer, right? You see such and such Pentecostal church down the street. Turns out it's oneness. You're not going to know that. You're just going to think, oh, there's a Pentecostal church. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like that's quite, quite a different story because they're literally worshiping a different God than us by well, virtue of denying the, the Trinity. And, and so that's, I, a, that's why I bring it up is because it's yeah. alive and well. Yeah, and that's an interesting an interesting tie-in. I actually I had a run-in with a oneness Pentecostal at a local mall a couple of years ago. I had, I had gone out to dinner with my wife and my parents, 
And as we were exiting the mall, we were approached by a group of people, um, which, you know, usually you might be a little bit like, what's going to happen? Are they going to ask for money? Do they, what's their motivation here? Well, they wanted to talk about spiritual things. And so I was, I was like, sure, I love talking about stuff like that. Let me, let me see what you got. And so like, as we're, as we're talking, like you're saying, like, yeah, we're hitting the right points. We're hitting the right points. And then a, like, there were just a couple of things where I'm like, oop, that didn't feel right. Oop, that didn't feel right. And by the end, I just, I, I told them, I was like, hey, like, I'm a Christian. I went to a Bible college. I was a youth pastor. Like, I don't think we're going to have, I mean, whatever your goal was in, in talking to us, like, it's probably not going to happen. Like, we're just going to leave type of thing. And we, it was all very peaceful, right? Um, but it's, it's the, 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 and I know we're approaching time here, but like, one of my thoughts is like, to what degree can just a common average person find themselves in this sort of environment, whether it be oneness Pentecostal or somebody back in this time of the Numa Tamaki, like to what degree can someone be a part of that group and still be like faithful or orthodox? Like to like what is it like they suddenly like became aware that, oh, the teaching that I've been like in with is actually errant. Or I'm thinking like, think of even like Joel Osteen and his churches, right? Obviously you and I like have a problem with Joel Osteen. We have a problem with his teaching, but like there are just people going to his church because they think they need to go to church and the they, they think that the message is inspiring and uplifting. But to, what I'm trying to get at is like a common person in these churches if they don't have an awareness of why this thing is bad or why it is wrong or errant, to what degree is that a problem? Like, do, do you get the question I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say? Like, I, I don't know that oh, we can be... I definitely so, do, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we can be so bold as to say like, oh, those people aren't saved or they're not Christians. Like, I think to some degree we can for the people that are like main advocates and proponents, but maybe even to that degree. Like, again, we talk about Arius, we talk about Pelagius. Like, are they quote-unquote Christians who will be in glory someday, even though their teaching was bad or wrong. You know what I mean? Like, do you yeah. know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think I think this is, I mean, it's even, even dipping back into last year's Heresy Month, like this is sort of a recurring theme that we've touched on in a couple of, of different ways, sort of like, so, sort of like from the side. Um, uh, and, and maybe, maybe we'll, we'll, dive deeper like head on in a later episode into like actually working through that question but um I, I i totally i totally get the question and i do think that like this is this is one of the things um that thinking about reflecting on and or studying heresy specifically heresies um specifically it's one of the things that 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 doing that raises um, and it's the thing that actually matters, right? It, because because why does heresy matter? It separates you. I'm speaking for myself. Why does heresy matter? It separates you from Christ, because you say Christ. You know, you're Arius. You say Christ isn't isn't uh, God. Well, why does it matter that he's going around teaching that? And some people are. Why does it matter that there are Orthodox churches in Constantinople and Arian churches? Well. It matters because the people who are in those Aryan churches are being fed uh, a a version of Christianity that actually obscures the gospel because it denies the fact that Jesus is God, and that is that is an error 
not that's not just a small error that's an error on the level of you've actually denied the gospel and then here's all the reasons why and you have your debates and that's the council fine but and and so that's that's what i'm going to say is is why heresy's bad and so we're not talking about like not talking about arius anymore not talking about arian bishops not talking about whatever we're talking about i can't think of i don't know like a Greek, a Greek guy in Constantinople, you know, <laughs> Joe, Joe Schmackalopoulos or whatever <laughs> in, in an Aryan church in the fourth century, like, like it matters because of his soul. Right. Sure. And so in the meantime, when he's actually in the Aryan church, what do we say about his soul? Right. And we can zoom out and zoom in in different ways. And that, that is, that is the question. And that's one of the important reasons for, for that's, that's why orthodoxy matters. Um, and I think that we should, uh, uh, maybe much to some people's chagrin, just leave it there. Yeah, probably. Uh, cause this conversation has wrapped up and, 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 uh, we may or may not return to that at a later date. We should, kind of I mean, cause it, like, leave it for now. Yeah. What I want to, what I want, what I'm, what I'm really interested in, in, in studying further. And I don't know if like, there's even good resources out there on this, but it's like, what is the motivation of these people who throughout history we have deemed as heretical or heretics or that their teaching was wrong or errant. Like what was the motivation of that person to teach something contrary to what the rest of the people were teaching? Like, was there, was there, was it just a matter of like foundationally just belief? Like they just were not convinced of Nicene Trinitarianism. So they were like, I'm going to go with this thing that I've sort of come up with. Or were there like socio political or otherwise motivations like that's what I'm that's what I'm often really fascinated by because again these things didn't exist in a vacuum we can look back in time and see them but there were there were very real reasons on like a day-to-day basis why someone taught something why that thing continued to be taught and why we can even look back at it now Um, so yeah maybe maybe someday like either within heresy month or you know maybe even beginning of November sort of have like that conversation on like what what motivates people that are that teach errant things and and how can we correct how can we redirect so on and so forth so yeah like you said this this particular conversation though feels like we've hit a nice wrapping up point um so we'll wrap it up here but i I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the doxology podcast thank you for tuning in last week to our first um you know heresy month 2023 we're we're always super excited when october rolls around i mean it's my favorite month of the year um, just in general, but then you add in all this other stuff with like heresy and like, we have, uh, Friday the 13th, this Friday, we have like ring of fire, um, eclipse and we have Halloween all in the same month. So it's like spooky, spooky times, hardcore. And so like listening and talking and just discussing, um, these things is like, it just gets me super excited. So if you'd like to connect with us, if you'd like to tell us how much you like this kind of thing, Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, um, threads at Doxology Podcast, uh, or you can send us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Um, we'd love your feedback, questions, episode ideas, whatever it is. At the end of the day, we'd love to hear from you. And remember, especially after a conversation like this, be nice and be nice. Until next time. Peace. Peace.